service the house of the Lord this evening by way of additional announcements I totally forgot that this past Sunday was Mission Sunday so this coming up Sunday is going to be Mission Sunday if you forgot to give uh, your missions offering you can do it uh, this you can actually do it anytime, any service. Just make sure you write on there for missions. But uh, you can give it this Sunday as well. We'll let you know what uh, we're doing. And I want to thank you for your giving to missions. I cannot tell you. I was privileged to go to, a bit of and I went this past Friday night to Bossier City. They have their World Missions Conference. They had it Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And we were able to make the Friday night service. I cannot tell you how many uh, praise reports, miracles, Brother Dean, he could, he could talk all night about people who gave to missions and God just began to open up doors and bless. Missions is the heartbeat of God. It's the heartbeat of God. And I commend you for your giving to missions. One of the greatest mistakes we can make is thinking in terms of one generation. You cannot think in terms of one generation. You have to think towards the future. We have to be intentional as a church about the future. And it, it should be that we all have a desire to leave a legacy. You say, well, what if God comes back? Well, what if he doesn't? As far as, we know he's coming back, but I'm talking about in before 10 years is up. What if he doesn't? And we didn't plan for the future. There's nothing wrong with thinking long term. There's nothing wrong with thinking about leaving a legacy for the future. Because if God comes back, it doesn't matter. But if he doesn't come back in 10, in 10 or 20 years, it will matter. We have to be good stewards. We have to be good stewards. With that in mind, I'm changing the name of our offering. Normally it's called not equal giving, equal sacrifice offering. It's a sacrificial offering. This is not changing the offering. But I'm calling it a legacy offering. Because every time I mention it, I want to plant that seed in your mind for the future, for the future, amen. It goes to this church. Once a year, we take up an offering that we use towards a legacy in Wallace Ridge. We use portions of it for uh, She's for Christ and different things, but um, it'll be April the 19th this year. I know we got a few weeks out, but I want you to be praying that God would move upon you. April 19th, it's a Sunday night, but throughout the weeks leading up to our legacy offering, I'm going to be preaching and teaching on certain subjects as it pertains to finances. Um, giving gets a bad rap sometimes. All that preacher wants to talk about is money. Well, Jesus talked about money more than anything else in the Bible. And if Jesus talked about money more than anything else in the Bible, it should tell you that there's some kind of significance to our salvation 
and our finances. They're tied together. Amen. With that being said, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. This is what Paul says. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, someone say learned, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and how to abound. I know how to get low. I know what life's like high. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I want to preach tonight on the subject, life's hardest lesson. Life's hardest lesson. Lord bless you as you're seated. I know my title will be subjective you may come up to me afterwards and say, well, that's not the hardest lesson, but you know what? I got the microphone. So it's going to be life's hardest lesson tonight. Life is filled with lessons. Some lessons are taught, such as children. You teach children how to behave. You teach children how to take care of themselves. You teach children manners. You teach children how to play fairly and to share. You teach children um, what maybe they need help on in homework. Well, unless it's math, because I don't even know how to do the math that they're doing today. You teach children. There are some lessons that are taught Parents know what lies ahead. Therefore, they make certain that their kids are adequately prepared. There are some lessons in life. When I, when I got married, I needed to make more than $7 an hour. So I went and I become an electrician's apprentice. I didn't know anything about electricity. I just knew that $13 an hour was more than $7.50 an hour. So I'll be an electrician's apprentice. And I remember showing up the first day on the job. I didn't know what a speed wrench was. I didn't know what a cable tray was. I didn't know what anything was. So you know what they did? They taught me. And when one journeyman would get tired of me, he'd dump me off on another journeyman, and they would teach me. And now I know what a lot of stuff is, electrically speaking. Some, same for you in your life. There are things that you didn't know, but people had to teach you. So some lessons are taught, and some lessons are caught. There's things you just, you just pick up along the way. You know, the lessons that stick the most hurt the most. Usually it sounds something like, well, I just put my foot in my mouth. You know what? You caught something. You learned. Don't need to do that again. Don't need to say that again. Some lessons are caught. Some lessons are taught. You will pick things up along the way through life, and you'll make mental notes. Well, I'm not going to do that. Well, I'm not going to say that. And you learn. So, so some lessons are taught, and some lessons 
are caught. You don't have to wake up every day and look for a lesson to learn. You just go about your day, and it's almost subliminal. You're, you're going to learn something. You're going to learn something. Some lessons you learn once, and you'll know it for life. Hence the saying, it's like riding a bike. You learn to ride a bike, and you can go 50 years and get back on a bike. Keep on pedaling. Some lessons you learn, and you got them lodged in your memory. You know what to do, how to do it. But then some lessons are new lessons, such as how to raise children. Parents, I remember when we first had our babies, I didn't understand it, but people would say, oh, I wish I could go back to diapers and bottles. That was the easiest time. And here our first daughter screamed for a year because she had colic, and I'm thinking, this ain't easy. But you know what? They were right. It, it changes as those children change the pressures and the stresses of life and every book you buy, just throw it out the window except the Bible. And you got to pray for God to give you wisdom how to raise children according to his word. You learn lessons. You, you, you learn how to adjust to an empty house when your children are all gone. You learn how to spoil grandchildren and give them anything they want and send them back to their parents. But there's one lesson that you will struggle with mastering all of your life. Life's hardest lesson is learning how to be content. Learning how to be content. We are constantly bombarded with advertisements. We're bombarded with stuff. Buy this and you'll look like this. Carry this and you'll be a part of this level of society. Shop here and you'll be one of those kind of people. Use this kind of fishing gear and you'll catch bigger fish. Use this and you'll be a better outdoorsman. Do this. And so what happens is we let people set the bar by which we measure our self-worth. We let people say, you got to do this and drive this and live like this to be a somebody. I'll sing a little song, and I'm not a singer, so I'm going to quote them instead of singing. I was singing a little song with, my, with, with Millie the other day, and I just want to share it with you because this is our message. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul. My friend, don't get your self-worth from the world, but you get your self-worth from God and who God says you are because you can be broke, busted, and disgusted but still have the Holy Ghost and be better than who everybody in the world says. We teach people, we teach our children not to use four-letter words but there's a four-letter word that we use a lot and it's killing people spiritually. It's the word more. I need more. I got 50 purses. I need, I need one more purse. I've got 100 guns. I need one more gun. Has anybody figured out you can only shoot one at a time? I got this, but I need more of it. 
I need more, a four-letter word that's killing us silently. More, more, more. It begins with children when they're little. More, and we laugh when they want more food. We laugh when they want more toys. And we laugh when they want more money. But it, there comes a point in time when it stops being funny. Do you realize that one of the most lucrative businesses right now is storage units? They're popping up everywhere. Climate control, because we want to pay somebody to hold our stuff that we don't want to get rid of, and we want an air condition so it don't ruin and we'll pay thousands upon thousands of dollars in a lifetime. And all somebody else is doing is keeping a lock on it. They don't have to tend to it. They don't have to check on it. They can let the rats and the lizards have the heyday with it. And we're giving them the money for it. There's an epidemic spreading across the world, mainly America, because our affluence has become our curse. It's going to be our demise because we want more. It's never enough. It's never enough. And we're accumulating possessions that when we die, they're going to just get rid of it. I told my dad one day, he, my dad has a bunch of stuff, and I love my dad to death. And I said, Dad, can we just go through it? He said, I'm not getting rid of it. I said, if we do it now, I don't have to do it when you die. Just let me go ahead and sort through all this stuff. Get rid of the junk. Give me what, what I want, what my brothers want. He didn't like that too much. I've been known to say things I probably shouldn't say. More is not always a bad thing, but more is a symptom of selfishness. It'll lead to more drugs. It'll lead to more promiscuity. You know, we talk about people being addicted to drugs, promiscuity, gambling, but there's people that's addicted to spending. There's people that's addicted to satisfying the same desire as addicts, but they do it through buying stuff. They make a big shopping trip. They come in. They got, their, they got all their bags, and they, they get a, a rush of dopamine in the brain. Whew. When that wears off, all the new wears off, I got to go get more stuff. I got to go get more stuff. I didn't want you to shout tonight. I'm just telling you the truth. This is why God, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. You got to understand this context and what it means. Jesus wasn't just throwing a word around loosely. Mammon is an Aramaic word that essentially means riches. And one would think the Assyrians got the concept of a god of wealth from their neighbors, which were the Babylonians. Babylon was a city established upon pride and arrogance, hence the Tower of Babel. It was an attitude which said man doesn't need God. It was an attitude that said we are self-sufficient people. And that's what the spirit of mammon tries to tell us. 
It tries to tell us we don't need God. We can put our trust in riches, in what we can accumulate, in what we can do. In the biblical sense of the word, mammon is the spirit that rests upon money. See, all money has one of two spirits. It's the, God, the spirit of mammon or the spirit of God. And money that is submitted to God and his purpose has the spirit of God on it, which is why it multiplies and cannot be consumed by the devourer. But money that is not submitted to God has the spirit of mammon on it by default. That's why people try to use it to manipulate and control. They think that they can use money to bring happiness. But if money brings happiness, why are so many wealthy people taking their lives? If possessions brings happiness, then why are all the people that have everything taking their own lives? That does not bring happiness. Mammon is basically the spirit of the world. And it's evident that the people most under the influence of the spirit of mammon tend to have the most fear about their money. One man once said, Mammon promises us those things that only God can give. Security, significance, identity, independence, power, and freedom. Mammon is nothing more than the system of this fallen world that stands in sharp opposition to God and his ways. Think about this with me. Mammon says to buy and sell. God says sow and reap. Mammon says to cheat and steal, but God says to give and receive. One's the spirit of the world. One's the spirit of God. More than anything, listen to me, church, more than anything, mammon wants to rule your life. This is why Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. Notice how the spirit of mammon tries to position itself as a substitute to God. You get in a situation and you can't fix it. And so you think you have two alternatives. Either I need more money to fix my problem or I need God to work a miracle. No, you don't need more money. You need God, period. But spirit of mammon tries to raise its head as an alternative. Well, if I had money, I can fix my problem. And so it tries to raise itself as an equal to God. And you're going, God, money. They're not on the same pedestal. God owns cattle on a thousand hills. God doesn't need money. He can create wealth. He is wealth. He can create money. So we got to get that idea out of our head that money is equal to God. Money's not equal to God. God is above everything and all things. Watch this. There are ten commandments in the Bible. They are not ten suggestions. They are ten commandments. And one of those commandments is, Thou shalt not covet. And we want to talk about lying. We want to talk about stealing. We want to talk about murder. But coveting is in the same category. It's in the same category. God uses things to test what's in our heart. 
He uses money to test what's in our heart. But he also uses other people's stuff to test what's in our heart. I'm going to dig down deep tonight, okay? You may walk out of here with a limp, but just know we're leading up to our legacy offering. Anybody ever known somebody that I'm trying to just use totally far out analogies so nobody will think I'm talking about anybody. If you painted your house pink, they was going to paint their house pink. Does that make sense? They just, the, the old timers call it keeping up with the Joneses. In fact, I know a guy, he, uh, I call them one-uppers. They're just going to one-up you every time. And somebody, one of his friends bought a, I don't know, a 400 four-wheeler. He went and bought a 500 four-wheeler. Well, his friend went and bought an F-350. Well, he showed up with an F-450. So they nicknamed him 450 because that stands for the Joneses. Always got a one-up. God tests what's in our heart not by just giving us stuff but by giving other people stuff to see how we're going to react to what God did in their life. And when we start messing up is when we start coveting what they got. We start coveting what God blessed them with. There will be times when things are going great, and there's going to be times when things are lean for everybody. But this is what Paul said, not that I speak in respect of what, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Paul said, I had to learn how to be content. You know why? Because the default nature of your flesh is more. Give me more. I want more clothes. I want better. And so Paul said, I had to make my, my spirit, the spirit of God had to teach my flesh. Whatever state I'm in, be content. If things are great, I'm going to be content. If things aren't great, I'm going to be content. He says, I know both how to be abased, that's low, and I know how to abound, that's high. Everywhere... And in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. Watch this, because we misapply this next verse to our life. I can do all things. What is all things? All things goes back to the previous verse. I can be low. I can be high. I can be full. I can be hungry. Whatever state I'm in, I can be content. How can he do all of it? I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. See, we just go, I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. No, 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 no. Scripture has to be taken in context. That scripture, Paul said, is learning to be content. How do we learn to be content? I can learn to be content through Christ Jesus. When things are great, I can say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this season that I'm in. 
Thank you for the season of abundance, God. I give you glory. When things are horrible, thank you, God, for trusting me enough to lead me through this season of life. Thank you, God, for trusting me enough. You was with me on the high, and I know you're with me in the low. The only way you can be content is through Christ Jesus. Amen. If you want to grow in God, here's how you grow. 1 Timothy 6 and 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. What is godliness? Godlikeness. I want to be more like Christ. I want to take after his nature. I want to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. I want to be who God called me to be. But the only way I can grow in godliness is with contentment. Godliness with contentment. That means you have to tell your flesh, no. Now listen to me. Contentment has to be taught by the Spirit. The Spirit of God that's in you has to teach you not to be impulsive. It has to teach you not to treat every paycheck like it's a vacation. Amen? If Jesus taught more about money than anything else, then I have a responsibility to help teach the importance and concepts of finances. Because, listen to me, I've seen people that can shout with the best of them. I've seen people that can run, and they, they had it all together on the outside, but they could not handle money. They could not handle money. That is just as important. Handling money is just as important as anything else, living for God, because we're called to be good stewards. Do you realize that the first step to handling a dollar is realizing that it's not your dollar. You don't own anything. You don't own your house. You don't own your car. You don't own any. You can have a million dollars in the bank. It's not your money. We are stewards of what God has entrusted us with. God owns everything. He owns everything. We don't own anything. We are stewards of what God has put into our care. And we have to make sure, I'm, I'm going to teach and talk more about stewardship. We have to make sure that we are good stewards of what the Lord has entrusted us with. So there are, uh, Hebrews 13 and 5 says this, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. What does this mean? It means this, money leaves, people leave. Wealth and social status can leave. Mammon can leave. You don't put your trust in stuff that will leave. You put your trust in stuff that is steadfast. And what God was saying was, hey, all this stuff that you're trying to put your trust in, it'll all fail you. But I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You put your trust in something that will never fail. Amen. Hallelujah. So there's three areas that people will be tested. And I'm going to try to wrap this up in 15 minutes. I said try. We are tested in areas of our needs 
first te- first area that everybody's going to be tested. We're tested in our needs. We learn to trust that God will take care of our needs. That's basic elementary. When you come to live for God and you start living for the Lord, you learn that God will supply our needs. When do we learn that God will supply our needs? Usually when you don't have enough to take care of your needs. That's when you learn that God will supply my needs. When you don't have enough money to cover your bills, you have to learn God will supply my needs. We don't like to learn on that level. But that's where your faith grows the most, financially. When you can't do it, you've got to have faith and trust that God will do it. Elijah went to, met the woman of Zarephath, the widow of Zarephath. And if you remember the story, he said, hey, uh, go get me some water. Then she was going away, and he said, I'll tell you what. Bring me a cake. She said, well, all I've got is a little bit of meal and a little bit of oil, enough for one last meal for me and my son, and then we're going to die. And she and Elijah said, you go ahead and make that cake. God's going to take care of you. Now, we read the story. We, we don't put ourselves in the story. You think about it. You, it's you and you, your child. And you've got enough, a little bit of meal, a little bit of oil, enough for one last meal. And the man of God says, you make me a cake first. Make me a cake first. Give to God first. All right? Now, I'm not going to dig too far into it because there's a whole, whole other lesson I'm going to teach on it. When you give to God first, he'll take care of the rest. But when you try to give to God last, he has nothing left to take care of. So what happens is when people get paid, they go, all right, house note, Uh, water, phone, food. And you get and you go, ooh, I don't have enough to pay my tithes. I'll give God what I got left, and I'll just write an IOU, and I'll try to catch up on it. Okay? And God has nothing left to bless because you wrote everything else out first. When you make the cake first, she had enough for three and a half years. Every day she went back, and there was more, and there was more. Because when you bake the cake first, God can bless the rest. But when you try to bake the cake at the end, you're not going to have enough ingredients to bake the cake. That's why tithing represents first fruits. First fruits. If I had 10 $1 bills, see, we always taught tithing is 10%. It is 10%, but it's first fruits. If I had 10 $1 bills lined up right here, which one is the tithes out of 10 $1 bills? Is it the one on this end? Is it the one on this end? Or is it the one in the middle? 
It's whichever one you give first is the tithes. First fruits. And that reflects your heart. Are you putting God's 10% last? Or are you putting God first? Tithes. And I'll delve off into that later on throughout the next few weeks. We're tested in our need. The reason some people don't have enough to cover their bills is because they're trying to make the cake last instead of trying to make the cake first. First. I can't tell you how many times I didn't have enough money to pay my bills, but I gave to God first, and then I had enough to cover my bills. Amen. So we're tested in our need, and then we're tested in our greed. So it's one thing to have just enough to meet our needs, but the real test comes when we get a little extra. You see this when an individual has been praying to get out of debt, and then they get a large windfall or a large sum of money. And instead of paying down their debt, they buy stuff that they thought they needed, but what they really wanted, instead of calling it a need, I mean, instead of calling it a want, they call a need. I know a guy right now that he was he was in a lot of debt. And I mean, he had been praying for God to help him, and, and God, through work, gave him over a million dollars out of nowhere. A million dollars. You know what? He's still in debt. Because he bought a bunch of stuff that he thought he needed. He didn't need it. Instead of paying down his debt, God provided. But instead of paying down his debt, he just bought a bunch of stuff. See, we're tested in our needs. Then we're tested in our greed. When God does give you a little extra, it reveals your heart. It reveals what's on the inside. Listen to me. The need test comes as we trust God to be our sufficiency. But the greed test comes when we move beyond sufficiency into abundance. Now, I want to emphasize this. God is not against you owning stuff. He's against stuff owning you. Mighty here had to take a vow of poverty when you came and got the Holy Ghost. God's not against you owning stuff. You look at Abraham, he was wealthy. Look at Job, he was double wealthy after the testing. God's not against his people owning stuff and having stuff. He's against that stuff owning you. But the highest test of money, we're tested in our need, we're tested in our greed, but then we're tested with our seed. 2 Corinthians 9 and 6, he who, show, who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I want to ask you, how do you view the money you control? Because you don't own that money. You control that money. How do you view the money you control? Is it there to meet your need? Is it there to satisfy your greed? Or do you view it as seed? 2 Corinthians 9 and 10. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Notice that it doesn't say God supplies seed to the keeper. 
He supplies seed to the sower. Some people may say, well, sure that guy could give $100,000. He's got tons of money. He can afford it. He won't even miss it. Got it backwards. He has money because he's a giver. You don't give because you have money. You have money because you give. It's what the Bible says. Jesus said it. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It doesn't say where your heart is, your treasure will be. Because treasure doesn't follow heart. Heart follows treasure. Heart follows treasure. You Each day, we have got to learn how to be content with where we are in life. You got to learn it. Does it come naturally? Your flesh always wants to get more. Get more. You're never, your flesh is never satisfied. Never. Your spirit has to throttle your flesh. Your spirit, you have to understand, I have to pass the test of need, which is trusting God to take care of my needs. I've got to pass the test of greed, using abundance wisely in obedience to the leading of the Lord. And then I have to pass the test of seed to sow bountifully into the kingdom of God. Stand with me, please, at this time. There are three things, and you're going to hear me say this very often over the next few weeks. There are three things that a good steward will do. Spend wisely, save diligently, and give generously. Three things every good steward will do. Spend wisely, save diligently, and give generously. You've got to understand that God did not call, call you to be a hoarder over everything he's given you. Like, like little kids playing, they, just, they create a big boundary and say, this is all mine and nobody can touch it. Do you realize once you grasp the concept that the blessings that God has given me aren't just for me to hoard, but for me to distribute? It doesn't have to be $1,000. One of the most meaningful ladies that God ever used in my life was this precious lady, as musicians come, this precious lady from my home church, who according to the world standards, she didn't have much of anything. She didn't have much of anything. But she was in tune with the Holy Ghost. And I can't tell you how many times I didn't have any money for formula, for diapers. I didn't have any money. And she'd just walk up next to me, hold my hand and it might be $10, might be $20, but it was enough. It was enough to buy formula. It was enough to buy some diapers. Do you think, well, if I'm going to be a giver, I've got to give hundreds and thousands of dollars? No, 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 no. No. God measures what you give in proportion to what you possess. That widow that gave two mites, God looked at him and said, that woman right there gave more than everybody. Because 
He was viewing what she gave in proportion to what she had. Amen. We're going to be testing areas of our need, areas of our greed, and then areas of seed. How do, so how do we be, how do we become content? Not always reaching for the, the pot at the end of the rainbow. I'll tell you how. Jesus, this is what Paul said. The only way I've learned to be content is I kept Jesus at the center of everything. Everything. He said, I can do all things. The only reason I can be abased and I can abound and I can be hungry and I can be full is because I've learned that whatever state I'm in, Jesus is the source of my strength. Jesus is my provider. Jesus is the center of everything. See, the mistake we make is we have Jesus and then I need this money over here. We have Jesus and then I need this vehicle over here. We have Jesus and then I gotta have this over here. No, Jesus says, I've got to be at the center of everything. He's the source of all of our contentment. As we take this journey leading up to our legacy offering, I want you to prayerfully ask God to teach you how to be content. Because it doesn't matter where you're at in life, you will always battle contentment. You'll always struggle because you'll see God doing this in somebody else's life. You'll see somebody over here doing something. I can't tell you as a pastor the emotional roller coaster because I may get a text or I may get a call about what God's doing great over here in somebody's life. And then I may get another text or call about what's going wrong in somebody's life. And it feels like I'm doing this. But the Bible says, reap with them that reap. Rejoice with them that rejoice. But no matter what season they're in, they have to learn. i got to be content. Because the one thing that never changes is the God that's with you on the, in the high and in the low. Amen. I'm inviting everyone to this altar. When you come to this altar, I want you to lift your hands toward heaven. And I want you to ask that God would teach you how to be content. It doesn't matter what season of life you find yourself in right now. As they begin to sing, I want you to ask the Lord, Lord Jesus, by your help, I need you to teach me how to be content. I need you to teach me, Lord. Teach me how to be content with everything. God is with you, church. God is with you. God's walking amongst you. 